0: but now for today and for the next 10 weeks we are going to be delving into the book of Colossians will you guys pray with me as we prepare our hearts to come to the word God thank you so much for the opportunity that we have by your spirit to come and to read the word to pray the word to sit under the preaching of the word father we pray for gospel proclamation to be clear Father, we pray for the unction and the anointing and the movement and the activity of your spirit in every part of service, but right now, particularly as the word of God is coming forward. We pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that you would give us insight and revelation. God, that you would cause our hearts to burn within us, just like those two men on the road to Emmaus. And God, today, that we would be formed, not by news media, not by ideologies and ideas and hollow philosophies of the world, but we would be formed by the word of God. We pray this today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Awesome, guys. I am so excited to be uh, starting this new series on Colossians with you guys. First service, uh, we hit this, and we hit the ground running. So I want to talk with you here for a few minutes about just some of the things that are happening in the church that's located at Colossae. And then once we have a good idea of why Paul is writing this letter, who he's writing this letter to, what he's trying to accomplish, we're going to talk about growing in our prayer lives. But let me give you some practical things as we take this journey for the next 10 weeks together. Number one, I want to encourage you to read the book of Colossians with us. Let us as a community just Find our base camp in this one particular book for the next two and a half months. You may have other Bible reading plans. Let me assure you, the book of Colossians is a very, very short read. But I want to encourage you also to not read it just once. So me personally, I am touching some part of Colossians every day. It might be an entire chapter it might just be one verse that i'm slowly reading and meditating on to allow those words to mark my soul and mark my faith i want to say this about reading something more than once it's like going on a really nice hike and it's a hike that you've been on before you know since the time my kids were born Christy and i would throw these guys on a, on a backpack carrier on our back and uh, we would hit these certain trails and these trails have become known to the family as our trail they say are we going to our trail today dad or are we going on a new trail there's something about hitting familiar territory Right? Everything's not brand new, so you're able to enjoy the experience and enjoy the ride a little bit more. But here's a beautiful thing. No matter how many times we go on our trail, and we've been on it a lot, we still experience and encounter something new. There's something new in that familiar territory. Guys, I've been reading the book of Colossians almost daily since the month of October. I had been sensing that we were going to have a series in Colossians starting off the new year. So I wanted to get a head start. And I just began the discipline of reading that book every day. Four chapters, it'll take you about 10 minutes. You can weave that in. But here's a beautiful thing. I am still making new discoveries after reading this book every day for about four or five months now. And that's just the way the Word of God and the way that Revelation works. Here's another little technique is that you can read the book in various translations. So maybe you'll assign a different translation to different days of the week. Or maybe you'll just walk through one particular translation multiple times then you'll pick a new one up i like the niv the nasb the new king james uh, and i'll just read those things i'm thinking about actually reading it in the king james version we'll see i'm not quite sure if i'm ready for that but you might start hearing some poetic language coming out of me if i decide to go there read it out of different translations and here's what happens the The different language that's being used, maybe even different sentence structure, it'll hit you in a different way. It'll cause something to come alive that you've read many times in the translation that you're most familiar with. Here's the next thing. Pray the scriptures. This is a marvelous book of the Bible to pray. And what that looks like very simply is, and I'm going to show you later as we talk about prayer today, is just take a couple of verses. Take one verse and begin to read that out as a prayer unto the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to unpack that verse in the place of prayer as you're reading the Scriptures. It will cause the Scriptures to come alive. Praying the Word animates the Word. Praying the Word activates word. The word. So I want to encourage you guys, even those of you guys at home, pray the word, pray the book of Colossians together. Okay, let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look here at the end of chapter 1. We're going to look at the end of chapter 1, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of chapter 1. And the reason why we're going to the end of chapter 1, we're actually going to start right here at Verse 28. The reason why we're starting at this verse is because it really crystallizes and summarizes why paul is writing the book to begin with now one of the unique things about the book of colossians is that paul is writing this letter to the church in colossae and it is one of the few places where he himself has never been and he himself did not plant this church in Colossae. So when we read Corinthians and we read Ephesians, he's been to these places. He's founded the church in these places. But what we find early on in chapter one of the book of Colossians is Paul's never been here. In fact, one of the beautiful things about the book of Colossians is it's like it's like one of his spiritual grandchildren. Um, the, the, The book is being written to a group of his grandkids. And one of the things that I've heard from every grandparent is that you enter into a new grace when you're a grandparent. Any grandparents in the house? I'm just curious who are grandparents so you can attest to the fact that the grandparent journey is unique and maybe even a little bit more joyful than the parenting journey, right? It's like we get to experience all the good things, we get to spoil them, and then we get to send them home at the end of the night, right? We get to be the favorites. Kids love coming to Gammy and Grandpa's house. But at the end of the day, discipline is on you. Providing for them is on you. Right, Saying no to them is on you. And this is kind of what Paul is experiencing a little bit. One of his spiritual sons, a guy by the name of Epaphras, is sent back to the city of Colossae. It's actually his hometown. And and Epaphras uh, finds himself as a spiritual son of Paul grows in the understanding of the gospel and then he is sent back to his own hometown where he witnesses of the gospel where people hear the gospel and as we find in chapter one fruit is being born all in the city of Colossae. so paul is writing with a lot of affection you're gonna hear this as you read through Colossians. You're gonna hear this guy write with so much affection to a group of people that he's never even met yet, which only testifies to the power of the work of the Spirit when God's work is being done through the people that we're connected with. So, one of the unique things that's also happening in the church at Colossae is there's a lot of different kinds of religions that are happening there. One of the main reasons that Paul is writing this letter is actually to help help. help protect this young immature church this infant church he's writing this letter to protect them from some of the false religions and one of those false religions is actually a a combination of multiple different kinds of religion that are happening the theological or technical word there is syncretism so these, these mystery cults would grab a little bit from the Jewish tradition. They would grab a little bit from some of the philosophies of the age. They would grab a little bit from the Greek gods and, and this, uh, this religion of worshiping Greek gods. And then they would put it all together to form a brand new religion. And Paul is writing them to protect them from being suckered and sucked in to these brand new religions. But the overarching purpose of the book for him is that the people of God at Colossae would become spiritually mature. Another word of saying that is that they would grow up. right? So in Colossians chapter 1, look with me if you would at verse 28. At verse 28, Paul says that Jesus is the one that we proclaim. And you'll find out in the weeks to come why this is so paramount jesus is the one he is our message he is at the heart and the crux of our gospel he is the one in whom the fullness of god is poured out into and upon he's the one that we preach about we are admonishing and we are teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ, That right there is an important, it's one of the most critical verses of the entire book. Paul is fighting against these false religions. Paul is making appeals to this young church because he wants to present them fully mature in Christ. So this next 10 weeks is really going to be centered around us growing up spiritually, that we would find ourselves becoming more and more mature in Christ through our journey in the book of Colossians. Turn with me, if you would, chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to talk today about growing in prayer, growing in our prayer life. Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, We always thank God. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever we pray for you. Now, there's some versions that say that we always pray for you and when we do we thank god the father of our lord jesus christ what we hear is this this idea that paul has a robust and a and a frequent and steadfast prayer life for the church at colossians Really, what he's doing is he's adding this young church plant into so many of the young churches that he's praying for. But here's what I want you to catch. As we talk about growing in our prayer lives, I want to focus on two aspects of that. The first is this. To grow in our prayer lives, we must learn to grow in our prayers of thanksgiving. Look at this verse again. I always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when I pray for you. I always thank God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. Look at verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful. So there's this unique dynamic in the place of prayer where thanksgiving affects and it forms And it shapes our prayer life. Why is Thanksgiving so important, do you think? Chew on that question here for a moment. How involved is the characteristic of Thanksgiving in your prayer life? When you think about prayer beyond just, you know, thanking God for, you know, the food that you eat, like when you think about your time in God and your time in communication with Him, what aspect of that? is filled with thanksgiving and particularly thanksgiving towards others because that's the context in which this prayer is being written I always thank God for you whenever I pray for you my first words out the gate my first thought my first attitude when I'm praying for you is that of thanksgiving Not of frustration, not of grumbling, not of whining, not of complaining. It is thanksgiving. Here's a couple of thoughts for you to entertain. Number one, I think thanksgiving in prayer is so important because it elevates our perspective. Whenever we begin our prayer praying for someone else, whether it's a spouse, whether it's an ex-spouse, whether it's our children or our parents, someone that we're in conflict with, someone that we're in disagreement with, whenever you begin in a prayer of thanksgiving, I believe that it opens up our heart, our mind, our spirit and our attitude to receive a perspective that is beyond us. It is a perspective that is heavenly. It is a perspective that is divine in nature where God begins to show you insight into the situation or into the person. You ever notice? You ever notice that when you begin to understand someone's journey, it releases grace. You ever begin, you ever realize that when you have a different perspective of what was really going on behind the scenes in their lives, then all of a sudden you start finding compassion flow from your heart. The second thing that happens when we pray with Thanksgiving is that it releases grace. It releases a grace towards the person that we're in relationship with. I found myself several months ago as I was up early in the morning praying through the book of Colossians. I started in verse three and I didn't get past verse three because here's what happened. I said, I'm gonna pray the scriptures and God has me in Colossians, I'm gonna pray Colossians. And my goal is I'm gonna try to pray through the entire book of Colossians, not in one setting, but over the course of time. So as I began praying and verse three says, we always thank God for you, I I was stuck. I was stuck. And it's like the Lord said, okay, now thank me for the people that I've put in your life. So I thought, well, let me begin with the most important person in my life. And I began praying for Christy. And I just began saying over and over again, God, I thank you for Christy. And I would wait for words to come, no words. God, I thank you for Christy. And I would wait for words to come, no words come. God, I thank you for my, my dear, precious wife of 19 years. No words would come. And then all of a sudden, it was like the floodgates just opened up. Sometimes you got to just wait a little bit in the place of prayer. Sometimes you have to just tarry a little bit, and then God will begin to release revelation. And he began to show me aspects of my wife that I had forgotten he began to show me value in her that I had overlooked. He began to condition and tenderize my heart. And then before I knew it, man, overwhelming tears began to flow. Overwhelming gratitude began to well up in my heart when I see the things that she does on a daily basis. There's grace to, over, to, to, to wash over uh, little uh, irritations and frustrations that were beginning to develop in my heart and in my mind and in my attitude. Friends, I want to encourage you. One of the best things that you can do for your relationships is begin to thank god for that relationship now something specific too because there are legitimate fractures and legitimate conflicts in our relationship i'm talking about thanking god for his role and his work in the lives of the people that are in your life look with me at verse four lauren if we could verse four Paul is saying, I always thank God when I pray for you, verse 4, because we have heard of your faith in Christ, we have heard of your love for God's people, and we have heard of your hope that is stored up in heaven. What is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, I recognize that God is at work in your life. I'm thanking God because he is at work in your life paul's not saying to thank god for negative things or for the bad things that you see he's not saying to thank god for for the interruptions and the conflicts he's saying recognize that god is at work friends let me tell you this if you will begin locating the people in your life in the place of prayer by thanking god that he is at work It will do a number of things. Number one, it will reinforce the work that he is already doing in their lives. Number two, it will make you more mindful that God is at work in their lives. Number three, it will help you to participate and partner with how God is at work in the lives of of the people that are around you. God, I thank you for my spouse. I thank you that you are calling them. I thank you that you are ministering to them. I thank you for my children, that you are pulling their hearts into you, that you are putting the fear of the Lord and the wisdom of God in their lives, that you are surrounding them with good and godly friends. Guys, posture your prayers in the canopy of thanksgiving. Here's the third thing I believe that happens when we pray prayers of Thanksgiving. It strengthens our faith for what is possible. So number one, it elevates our perspective. Number two, it releases grace. But number three, it strengthens our faith for what is possible. When you are looking for the activity of God in the lives of your relationships, when you are putting on the lens that says, God, I'm looking for the good. I'm looking to see how you are at work then it begins to take the limits off of what you think is possible in that person or in that relationship. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to gloss over here and say that there aren't some seemingly impossible situations. I know there are. That's why, I'm, that's why I'm bringing this to you guys as your pastor. I believe that there are really, really difficult situations that are happening in your lives and in your relationships. And when we lead off by saying, God, we are thankful that you are at work, he begins to slowly expand the borders of what is possible in our faith. Now, Christy and I are walking through this material. Jonathan's joining us in this. It's called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. For those of you guys who were part of our small group ministry a few years ago, you may remember being a part of a life group that was walking through Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And one of the first things that Pete and his wife, Jerry Scazzaro, teach in their curriculum is to do what's called a community temperature reading. And that begins very simply by sitting down with someone in your life and, number one, identifying what you appreciate in them, what you appreciate that they've done. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm learning is that it's really difficult to be offended and express appreciation at the same time. It's really difficult to remain upset and angry and resentful and vocalize appreciation at the same time. And what I am finding is, is that when you vocalize appreciation, not only does it put the offense into context, it pushes the offense out of your heart and your mind. And listen, this has nothing to do with how you feel. This has nothing to do with an emotion. Right When you get into the Spirit of God and you say, God, there is something, there's one thing that I can express appreciation for. It sets off a chain reaction of the perspective of God and the grace of God and the faith of God being released into that person, into your heart, and into the relationship itself. So, friends, pray with thanksgiving. Number two, we see that Paul moves from thanksgiving to intercession. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. For this reason, since the day that we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And we continually, that's a good word there, we continually over and over ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. Verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. In other words, we are entering into this place of intercession for you so that you can live a life that is worthy of the Lord and so that you can please him, so that you can know what it is that pleases him and that you can be strengthened to do the things that please him. And in so doing, there's the colon, you will bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Paul, uh, Jonathan and I like to say that Paul is the master of run-on sentences, Amen. right? But here's the beautiful thing about this. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 13, you say, Pastor, I don't really know how to pray. I don't really have the language of prayer. My prayer life isn't robust and strong. Start in Colossians 1, 9 through 13 right? Memorize that. Get that in your bones so that when you open your mouth in a prayer meeting or you're leading a prayer to the people or you're praying over the food, you just find yourself saying, every time I open up my mouth, I ceaselessly pray that God would, I mean, you just find that it's just rolling out of your spirit and out of your lips. It will teach you the language of prayer. And then you start walking through each and every one of these components. They're amazing. If you ever get lost in the territory or the landscape of prayer, go back to Colossians chapter one, verse nine. It will teach you some incredible objectives on how to pray. We pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Do you know that we pray that for you on a regular basis? How many of you guys would like to know what the knowledge of God's will is? Anybody need that? Right? Like, God, show me what your will is. Start there in that place of prayer. God, would you reveal to me the knowledge of your will through through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Another way of saying that is revelation. God, I need revelation by my spirit of what you're up to. I need something that is happening deep inside of my spirit, man, that, that gives me the faith and the strength to continue to live faithfully for you as I move in the direction of your will in this relationship, in this business venture, in the great overarching story of what you're doing in the world. God, fill me with the knowledge of your will so that I may please you in every way and bear fruit in every good work. Any moms and dads here who would love their children to bear fruit in every good work? pray that prayer, right? Anybody here who would love your spouse to live in such a way that they please God in everything that they do? Pray this prayer. What about your roommates? What about your friends? What about your co-workers, your neighbors? Anybody want your neighbors around you who are a little sketchy? If you want them, right, to live in such a way that pleases God in everything they do, pray this prayer. Enter into intercession. What does the word intercession mean what does it mean to intercede very simply it means to partner with the will of god on behalf of another person in the place of prayer very very simple god i know that you have a will here so i am entering into agreement with your will for this person or for this place or for this situation it's a really important word here as we talk about Entering into intercession, go with me to Colossians chapter four, verse twelve. I almost said Ephesians. Colossians chapter four, verse twelve. Paul is wrapping up his letter, and in so doing, he's giving this little shout outs to all of his friends in ministry, and he is affirming them, and he's encouraging them. But then he starts to talk about these little specific traits of their life and of their ministry. And I love this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Look at this. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. So what happened is when Epaphras went to Colossae, he finds this church, plants this church, Then he goes back, he travels back to where Paul is, and different scholars have different ideas of where he might be. A lot of people land on the fact that he might be in a Roman prison. So Epaphras travels back to visit with Paul and ends up staying with Paul, so much so that Paul calls him a fellow prisoner of the Lord. But when he goes back to Paul, he tells him, hey, this is what's happening in the church at Colossae. So then Paul sends two different guys back to the church with this letter. And then he's saying, hey, by the way, my spiritual son, your spiritual father, who founded this church, sends greetings. Now look at this. He is always wrestling in prayer for you. Let that just settle in for a second. He is always, always, not just, you know, when he he feels it, But Epaphras has developed a rhythm in prayer. He has developed a habit of prayer whereby he can say, man, I am always in a wrestling match in the place of prayer for you. Let's talk about that word wrestling here for a minute, then we're going to go back to this verse. That word in the Greek is a fun word. It's called agonizomai agonizomai. What word do you hear in agonizomai? Agony. Agony. And this is essentially what Paul is saying, that there is a place in intercession that requires agonizing in prayer, right? In other words, and I, guys, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I can't even say that I understand this. I can't understand why it's not just a one-and-done type of, you know, a one-and-done deal, But what I do know is that there's a lot of situations in prayer that are just not a one-and-done deal, right? There are some situations in the earth or, or in the people that we're connected with that God has sovereignly yoked your life to. Or that he has sovereignly introduced you to. That you may be the only person that is wrestling and agonizing in the place of prayer for the will of God in that person's life. And somehow in this divine equation, God has set this up where it's not just God's going to take care of everything, right? So we're not talking about this kind of passive indifference and saying, well, you're sovereign, and if you want it done, you're going to have it done, and we kind of go on our merry way. No, no. And it's not just all on us. This is kind of the downfall of the apostolic and prophetic and the word of faith ideology that says, man, we just need to do more. We need to strive more. We need to, we need to pray the right formula. We need, to, we need to fast more. We need to get a hold of the right prophetic language. It's not all unto you, and it's not all on God. Somehow in this divine equation, God has set it up to where we enter into his work, but it's we who are working and God who is working to see that his will is being done in the earth. Agonize. Agonize for the will of God to be done. Wrestle. I want to read a couple of nuances of this definition to you. It means to enter into a contest. If you guys remember in the ancient world, the... Uh, the citizens of Rome would enter into the Olympic Games. And they were actually the founders, you know, in that, in that ancient civilization of Greece and Rome, founding the Olympic sports. And when you think about this severe and strict competition, Paul is using that language right there. In fact, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to just explore this idea of wrestling for the will of God together. I want to pull out some of these nuances first Corinthians chapter nine. We're going to begin in verse 24 first Corinthians 9 24. Paul says, do you not know that in a race, all of the runners run, but only one gets the prize. So run in such a way, run with such level of focus and tenacity and discipline so that you can get the prize. In other words, he's saying that we're not talking about a casual stroll here. There are some things in God that require intensity. There's there's an aspect of our life in God that requires severe discipline and focus. I'm not saying legalism. I'm not saying we're trying to squeeze the life and the joy of God. But there is an element to your life in God that requires focus. Like, just kind of a haphazard case, sirrah, sirrah, like, you know, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. That is not what Paul is advocating here, right? And that's with anything in life, your business, your marriage, the raising of your kids, you becoming a, uh, a prospect to become married someday. Uh, 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 in, any kingdom venture where the kingdom of God is being brought to bear in the earth requires a level of focus and discipline and concentration let's keep reading right here verse 25 everyone who competes in the games he's utilizing his cultural nuance goes into strict training and they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever therefore i do not run like someone running aimlessly i do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to you, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. This is the same language that Paul is using. Let's go back to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. Look at those last verses here in verse twenty-nine, going into chapter two. So he says, to this end, to, to what end? Remember, we started this message off looking at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. So look at verse 28. He says, to this end, to what end? To the end of presenting everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, let me just ask you, do you think that's easy work? Clearly not. But this is the context that Paul's talking about. I need to make sure that we really get this because here's what I want to make very, very clear. Here's what I'm not saying. Say, this is what you're not saying. I'm not saying that if we just work harder that we can exert our will on God. That's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that just because we perceive something to be the will of God, if we then take that with a level of intensity, it's going to happen. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying here is that Paul specifically is saying, I am wrestling with intensity and discipline and tenacity so that God can be formed in your life. And that is hard work. We're talking about spiritual parenting here, right? Natural parenting is tough, right? I agonize to see my children become good quality human beings. But Paul is upping the ante. He's saying, okay, it's good to be good human citizens and it's good that you know how to, you know, treat each other with kindness. I'm talking about Christ himself being formed in your life. And this is what I'm wrestling in the place of prayer. This is the will of God that is sure that Christ wants to be formed in your life. Look right here again, chapter 1, verse 28, so that we may present everyone, everyone. You guys know when I pray this for you, and I pray this for you on a regular basis just so you know, I agonize in the place of prayer that there would not be one person in Antioch who was not pre- pre- presented fully mature in Christ. So look right here at chapter at cha- uh, verse twenty nine so he says, to this end, listen to this language, I strenuously contend. I strenuously, I exert i I, I use the energy of my physical and emotional being. I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me here you see this both and again is it just God working in the people of Colossae no is it just Paul praying strenuously no it's God is providing energy Paul is using that energy but he's using it with a level of strenuous intensity look at chapter 2 verse 1 I want you to know how hard I am contending for you listen to that language I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you. I'm fighting for you. I am believing for you. I am praying for you. I am fasting for you so that you could become mature in Christ. Look with me at Galatians chapter 4. We'll find that this isn't something that was just unique to the people of Colossae. Galatians chapter 4 in verse 19. I was reminded of this when I sat down for worship in the second service. Paul is saying this over this this network of churches that the letter of Galatians is going to. Verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, agonizomai, I am agonizing, I am weeping, I am exerting energy, I am exerting intensity. I am searching through the scriptures. I am crafting prayer. I am releasing my faith. I am weeping and travailing so that Christ is formed in your life. Look at this language. In the same way that a, that a mother, and guys, probably back in the day, they didn't have epidurals, <laughs> right? So we're talking about natural births here. And we're talking, Paul is using this language to describe the level of pain and agony and intensity that he's experiencing in the place of the spirit, in the place of prayer, in the place of mentoring, counseling, spending time. And he's saying, guys, it's just like a mom giving birth to a baby. That's what I feel in the spirit when I go to war on your behalf. Here's a good question for you. Who are you doing that for? There's no condemnation here. There's no condemnation because the, the invitation of the Lord here is part of you growing up is entering into the yoke of helping someone else grow up. You know, as a, young, as a young dad, I felt incredibly, incredibly overwhelmed and intimidated by my first child. And then once I got some of those rhythms down, I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't too bad. Then baby number two came. And I think I had more anxiety over going from, from one child to two than just having one. And then, you know, we got our sea legs under us. And then God said, let's just, let's just put the, uh, the multiplication factor to work in the Duncan family. And we had twin boys. Now we had to go from man to man to zone defense, right? And I'm just saying that part of my growth journey was investing in the growth of someone else of caring about the development of someone else, of fighting the battles in the spirit for someone else. And guys, it's not just my biological children. I do that for you. I do that for my staff. I do that for people in my neighborhood, people I play basketball with. I do that for certain nations. God will burden my heart for seasons for certain nations, and I will find myself agonizing in prayer that Christ be formed in these people. And part of that is the way that God has designed the process for me to grow. So I want to encourage you today. Walk away from this saying, God, who are you calling me to renew my thanksgiving for in the place of prayer? Number two, who are you calling me to intercede for and to agonize and to wrestle and fight with until Christ is formed in their lives? I think moms, I'm just kind of going, going to go out on a limb here, but, uh, but stereotypically speaking, moms either biologically or moms in the spirit. And let me say this, you don't have to be married with biological children to carry what a mom carries in the spirit. But I believe that, that moms have a, a, just a special understanding and affinity for this in the place of prayer. And I just want to place a demand on that today. I want to activate that today. I want to say we need your agonizing in prayer. We need that from all of you guys in order for Christ to be formed in this house, to be, for Christ to be formed in his body at large. Amen? All right, before we come to the table today, let me shift gears here for a moment. I want to do this before we come to the table, and hopefully it just sets a little bit of context for us. So if you've been in Antioch for any amount of time, Uh, You know that typically, at least the past 11 years that uh, Christy and I have pastored in the senior capacity, you know we usually begin the year with a particular type of spiritual disciplines focus. And typically, that takes the shape of fasting and prayer. We usually do a 21-day fast at some point in January. And they're amazing. They're amazing. They're difficult in the moment, but... But you just, you sense the veil between heaven and earth getting more thin. You sense the strongholds of your flesh, you know, after you get past day three, just breaking off the power of these things, falling off of your life. I love fasting, I love prayer. I think every church should do it on a very regular basis. But as the staff and I really leaned into what God might be doing for us as a community in 2021, we didn't sense the grace of God to be on a corporate fast. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't fast on your own. Um, God may or may not be inviting you and me to fast on our own, and I think that's wonderful. What we have sensed and what we submit to you guys today is we sense that the Lord was inviting, into, inviting us as a community into a different kind of spiritual discipline. Uh, Richard Foster has written a book called Celebration of Disciplines, And there's actually a number of different types of disciplines, spiritually speaking. Solitude, being on your own, being quiet, practicing silence as a discipline, uh, the reading of the word, the memorizing of scripture. These are all incredible disciplines. Giving, these are all great disciplines. But we sense the Lord inviting us into the discipline of intentional connection. And I say that it's a discipline because guys, in a life that is so fast paced and busy and frenetic, I would say that if you do not have a disciplined habit of initiating and responding to connection, most likely it's not going to happen. I know at least for my own life. And we just discerned that in 2020, the relational fiber, the relational foundation of Antioch was really weakened. For a lot of reasons beyond our control, and a lot of reasons that we attribute to circumstance, our relational network, our relational strength, just has been weakened somewhat. And so, let me just paint this very clearly for you: what, what, what I'm, you know, how I'm participating with this. So, I have a list of uh, names. Uh, most, most of these names are either men who are on our our men's ministry, or those of you who are part of our membership. Now, those of you guys who are new, I've not met you yet. You're you're not on that list yet. I pray for you more generically, but I have a list of names that are on our family talk. And I'll pull that list out, and I will prayerfully read through each and every one of those names. And when I say prayerfully, it's not just, you know, you're not blasting through the names. You're slowly allowing those names to allow the Holy Spirit to shine a spotlight on one or a few of those names. And when he shines his spotlight on one of those names, then I'm asking the Lord, God, what would you have me to do? How do I participate with the discipline of connection with this person? For some people, it's just send them a text. With some people, it's take them out, invite them out, reach out and say, can I take you to coffee? Can I take you to lunch? Uh, There's a particular meeting that I have in a few weeks. And uh, when I found out what was going on in this person's life, I just sensed the Lord saying, ask this person out to a meal and when i did uh, and we've never gone out to a meal and this person said yes immediately right for some people it's just write a note write an encouraging word for some people it's been i don't need you to reach out to them but i need you to pray for them i'm not speaking in generalities guys here I'm, i'm speaking in real time case studies and these are this is something i've been trying to do every day since we started this campaign last monday And I'm telling you, it requires intentionality. It requires discipline. It requires, because it is a spiritual discipline. So there are three kinds of people that you probably know here in this community. And I'm just gonna focus on Antioch. You can translate this to people outside of Antioch. Some of you walk into this room and you may have been here for one week or you may have been here for 10 years. But you look around the room and say, there are people I do not know and I have never met at all. So that is a, that is a, target group of people for you to say god there are people that i've not met and what would you have me to do to introduce myself and to break the barrier of connection some of you depending on your personality that scares the living daylights out of you and what and what the lord might do is just say hey lock eyes or look around and capture someone's face and just begin praying for them or look for an opportunity to present itself for you guys to make connection there's another group of people in here and that is, you, some of you have been here for years and other people have been here for years and you look around and go, we still don't know each other at all. And guys, we're not a large church, okay? I mean, pre-COVID, we were running about 300. In COVID, you know, who knows where we're at, but we're a smaller congregation. But I'm here to tell you that it, whether you're a mega church or whether you're a house group, it takes intentionality to build strong connections. It takes intentionality. And so what I'm saying is for that second group of people, ask the Lord, God, there are people here that I've seen. I've seen them, but I don't know them. I can't tell you their story. I'm not in the yoke of helping them become more like Christ at all. Who are you directing me to? You can't do it with everyone. Ask the Lord, who are you putting on my target? All right, and thirdly, there are people, some of you guys, and this might be more so outside of Antioch, but here's what I know. I've known some people for years And I'm called to know them deeply. I'm called to travel the road closely with them. But time and circumstance has just caused our interactions to fade. And there might be some really strong established relationships that you just haven't deposited into for quite some time. And the Lord might be showcasing those people to you. And I want to encourage you to follow that. To follow that. Let me give a quick testimony. It comes from my friend Everett Ford. So, a week and a half ago, we were at a prayer meeting, and a group of men were gathered together, and I just began asking the guys, I said, what is the Lord putting on your heart for this year? And I'm going to botch up the language, Everett, so feel free to shout it out here. But, but Everett said something to the effect of, I, just, I sense the Lord inviting me to be a giver to the people that are around me. I want to be a giver. I want to be a life giver. I want to bless tangibly, practically, I want to be a blessing. And you know, I think most of us have thought that or said that at some point in our journey. And I was like, man, that's great. We're gonna pray into that. Four days later, he shows up at service and he knows my love language. <laughs> he, he has a brand new bag of coffee from his favorite roaster here in town. And it wasn't an arbitrary bag. It was Costa Rica blend. Like he's honoring my father-in-law's roots. And man, Everett, I'm gonna try not to cry here. It was such a simple move. That was simple, right? Anybody can buy a $12, maybe $16 bag of coffee, right? He knew that I didn't like my coffee ground. He made it with, with whole beans. It said to me, dude, I see you. Number two, he went out of his way to go to the roaster. Number three, he bought it, he delivered it. And that afternoon, a week ago from today, I went home, I was so excited. First thing that I did before I ate lunch, was I made this cup of coffee. I took a picture of it, I sent it to him, I said, bro, I'm just enjoying this coffee. And in that small little touch, something was strengthened between us. Now, I'm not asking all of you guys to buy me coffee now. (laughs) Do that for someone else, right? But I'm here to tell you guys, that has stuck with, I can't even explain it, you guys. Because I believe this, I believe it was sacramental. And here's what I mean. I believe that Everett didn't just arbitrarily go, oh, pastor likes coffee, I'm here, I'll grab a bag, and that would have been great, but I know Everett, and he saturated that with prayer. He was being led by the Spirit, and even this morning, bro, I'm telling you, I walked over, I didn't make your coffee, I made a different coffee, but your coffee is sitting in a shelf that has a glass window, and I saw it, and when I saw it, I felt felt the embrace of God by looking at a bag of coffee. I'm here to tell you guys, write a letter, send a text message, take somebody out, just let somebody know you're praying for them. Buy them a bag of coffee, buy whatever it is. Find something that is physical and exchange that with someone and saturate that with prayer and watch what God does with it. Guys, stand to your feet with me this morning. I'm so excited. Everett, thank you for showing us the way in that guys what kind of house would we be what kind of family of families would we be if we prayed like this what kind of family of families would we be if we if we practiced the discipline of intentional connection what kind of family would we be hey more importantly how many people would not fall through the cracks because as much as I love every one of you guys and I devote every waking moment of my life to this, like I, I, it, I'm, I'm gonna miss a lot of you guys. But what if we had a net where every single one of us, guys, we got people that are online that feel so disconnected. And what if we just, you know, the Lord began putting people on your heart. Jody Bauer socks and her husband Kevin and her incredible children and Randall and Leslie Ruiz and others who can't make it here with us. And they felt the love of God being extended through his family. Guys, I'm telling you, it could be world-changing. It could change our community. It could change this intersection of Awesome Blessing Academy. And I just say, let it be so, Lord, Amen. in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as we come to the table of the Lord today, man, let's just, let's just fold all of these words together. That at this table, we express thanksgiving <laughs> for what Jesus has done. And his faithful obedience to the Father. At this table, we're also reminded that there are so many people that need what we carry, and we we come to this table in a place of intercession. And at this table, we are also reminded that we are we are one people, connected by the one body of Jesus. And so.